you ever have battles in your mind? <clears throat> battles between your mind, what your mind says, and what your body wants to do? I think that that is probably a rhetorical question that absolutely comes back with a resounding yes all the time. Battling in your mind so much of, of life's decisions. Big ones. Sometimes they're little. Sometimes they're funny decisions that go on in our hearts and in our minds. I think about the office uh, potluck par- party. You know, everybody brings their, their, their favorite dishes and they all line them out there and everybody goes through once and then everybody's gone through and you've scarfed yours down and you're like looking, you know, I'd like to go back again. And your body is saying, yes, go back again. Get that one over there and that one over there. and Get doubles and triples of that one. And your mind is saying, no, I can't go back. I look like a, at a pig at a trough or something like that. I can't go back again a second time. And you've got this battle going on in the mind, what the mind says and what the body says, or maybe two different things. Now, that's a funny one in the sense that that, that, that may or may not play out in your mind. You may be just one of those that just goes back uh, and gives it no thought. Amen to that. Hey, I figure if you go to a buffet and let you go twice, you haven't cut into their profits enough, all right? So keep going back as much as you can. Uh, then you got the option of, um, you got the battle that goes on in, inside of our minds whenever we, we say we have this opportunity, we can go on mission adventure over here to this part of the world and, and work in this third world country and we can do this and, oh, but, you know, I just don't have the time and, or I just don't have the money, I can't afford it. But man, God, if you'll bless me, I'm going to give that money to this person in need, or I'm going to go on this mission adventure trip, or I'm going to do this if, 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 if. And we live in this if kind of world, and then all of a sudden we get a promotion. All of a sudden some great blue-haired aunt passes away and, and, and leaves us all this wealth. And, and so now we have this option to, to do this. And we go, oh, okay, but there's some new gadgets down there at Best Buy. And there's a new toy over here. And, I, and I've really wanted this for a long time, even though you didn't know about it until just yesterday. And, and I really, really want it. And, and, you're, and you're thinking about how you can go spend that money. It's like, oh, but, but then you made this promise to God over here. And we, get, we battle back and forth in our minds of, of what, what our mind wants to do or what our spirit wants to do versus what our flesh is crying out to do. And it's this battle that goes on. I think it, if, we haven't, if you haven't felt that it's because you're just some hedonistic sucker who just keeps going after everything your mind or heart tells you to do. So there's a battle between right and wrong wages there as well. Even Paul said, he said, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. He said, I can't figure it out. I can't get past it to the point that he called himself the chiefest of sinners. It's a battle that rages inside of us. It's a dichotomy between, between what, again, the, the, the battle of uh, this direction to go or that direction to go, this dichotomy that's pulling against each other. Dichotomy is a 16th century uh, Greek word that means to, to cut or to divide into twos. And, and that's exactly what it is. You've got your heart, your soul, your mind saying this is right or this is wrong, but your body is crying out over here, do this, do this. And, and who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Who, who's going to win in, in the end? And if, if we're not careful, we go from, from being uh, this dichotomy and living in that battle, but really what we want to move to is more of a congruent kind of life. One that where our spirit and our body are, are, are in line. Where our soul is crying out for the same thing our body's crying out for, and we're bringing it all into subjection, into, into some kind of a disciplined fashion to where I am living a congruent life that truly from the inside and out, my life is in alignment. 
And sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, who's going to win? Who are we going to allow to win inside of this battle inside of ourselves? And it really comes down to who are we? Are we, are we spiritual beings or are we physical beings? And I think this statement says it well. It says we are not physical beings with a spiritual element, but we rather are spiritual beings with a physical element. And truly, in, in the reality of it, of it all, is that, that we are spiritual people. And, and we're just merely living right now in a physical form. And, but one of these days, and we've all been to funerals, we've all had relatives. Remember, remember the one who left you the big inheritance, that purple-haired or blue-haired aunt and all that kind of stuff? We all see them come and go, and we all sometimes, sometimes go a little faster than we intended to go. And, but we, we live in this life of, of living, and then, and then death is the reality that we all face. But even Jesus said, you don't need to worry about the one who can take your body. You need to be worried about the one who will take your soul and your spirit. So I think Jesus is even putting an exclamation point on this statement that we are spiritual beings, but we just happen to be right now existing in a form of a physical nature. You can touch us, you can feel us, you can smell us, you can, you can taste us, God forbid, but, but you can taste us and all that kind of stuff. Those are the elements of the physical world in which we live. But really, if you want to get to the core and the essence of who we are, the thing that will live forever, the thing that will never die, it's our spirit. And if we... Don't allow the spirit to trump the physical, then we will lose. This, this life and this, this struggle between what is inside of us and what is outside of us and what is, what is craving on the inside and what is a craving on the outside is this dichotomy of battle that battles back and forth, the cutting apart that tears us apart in and of our spirits. Forget the outside world. Forget what somebody, friend next to you may pull you down. We have a hard enough time standing up on our own. Because the battle is so real and raging inside of us. Take your Bibles. We'll be finding 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I think Paul, what he does here in this passage is he gives us a great understanding of, of the, the elements of our lives. And both here, both here in Bentonville and in Rogers, we are all going through this radical study and, uh, and just to understand who we are. But I really don't think we can truly become something until we know, first of all, what we are. It's almost kind of like you're going to go on this long journey and you're going to take this big trip and you're going to take these great adventures out there, but you've got to figure out where your starting point is. You've got to find yourself on the map. And so today is to find ourselves on the map. So when we find ourselves on the map, then we can begin to chart from there. We can begin to project from there and to go somewhere. But today, this is a real go inside your heart. Go inside your spirit and truly assess who you are, who you are as an individual at your very core. And so Paul is writing the church of Corinth, and he's troubled church, a, a difficult church, a, a church that, that, that struggles with their own identity, that struggles with, but, but, but at the same time, Corinth was a very progressive community. Very progressive. In fact, I would liken the church at Corinth and the, the Corinth uh, to be very much like 21st century Bentonville, Arkansas, in the sense that it was a highly progressive area, highly educated area, highly affluent area. It was everything that whenever you look in the 21st century mirror, you look back several 20 centuries earlier, you'll find a city called Corinth. You'll find a church in Corinth. And you'll find these believers struggling with many of the same struggles that we face. And, and, and the things that we need to understand today are, are what is the life that I'm living? 
How is my the battle within raging? What is my spiritual condition? What does it mean to be a spiritual being? In fact, if you take your Bibles and you're at 1 Corinthians, you'll find Paul mentioning just that very, that very word, a spiritual person. But before he talks about being a spiritual person, he talks about being a natural person. And what he is, is he's painting for us three, a picture of three different lives. Now, I'll, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I really believe this, that I think everyone in this room, no matter if there's 200 or 300 people in this room or 400 people in this room, that every one of you will fall into one of these three lives. So, again, if you're going to go here, you've got to figure out where you are starting with. So where are you today? Where, which life are you living? So you do your own analysis with the Spirit of God and the Word of God being your guide, but you do that analysis right now and pigeonhole yourself, if you will. Pigeonhole yourself. Figure out where you're at in these three lives that, that we live. So let's just begin reading in verse 14. You follow along in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, The natural person does not accept, that's the first life, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit for their folly or foolishness, it says in some translations to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But he introduces another life. The second life is the spiritual person. The spiritual person, however, judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one, for he has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. For who has understood the mind of the Lord who has to instruct him? But he, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, and we see Paul introducing a third life. Highly dysfunctional, but yet it is a life. It says, but I, brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but people of the flesh. I'm just going to call this the unnatural life. People of the flesh as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, even and now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving as only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Would you take a second and just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to voice a prayer. I want to pray over us today. Lord, there's a lot of things in this world that don't make sense. And I can say as a follower of Jesus with many ups and downs in my own life since eight years old, there's still a lot of things about the spiritual world that I don't understand. There's still a lot of things about my own life, my responses, my decisions, my attitudes that are just not right sometimes. And Father, I want, to, I want to live life with such an edge to it, with such a, an adventuresome, full-on, all-out, sold-in, chips-all-on-the-table life that, Lord, if there are things in my life today that are not with you and in line with you, then Lord, show them to me. And I pray the same for everybody in this room. 
But as we talk about being radical, it's really a call, Lord, back to a very basic truth of being spiritual people. Living in a physical existence, yes, but being first and foremost spiritual people. Lord, would you help us now be our teacher now? May your spirit move in and out and up and down throughout this room right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three lives. We just mentioned them. I'm going to give them to you quickly, then we'll come back and hit them. The first life is the natural life. The second life that we'll talk about is the supernatural life. The third one is the unnatural life. But let's talk about the natural life. Good thing is, is I know everybody in this room falls into this category. Everybody in this room has the natural life. Everyone has lived the natural life or is living still the natural life. It's very common. You're born into the natural life. It's what you know. You were born there as a baby. You were born at a very young age, and you were born a natural. You were, you were the natural life. You thought naturally. You were, you, you were born with certain gifts and talents and personalities that were developed inside of you as a child growing up. It was natural. The way you saw life was natural. You saw it through natural eyes. In fact, when I meet somebody new for the first time, I immediately, without any question in my mind, think of them first and foremost as a natural person. Not as a spiritual person. I think of them as a natural person. Until I hear more of their story, until we can dive further into their life, until we can go deeper into their life story, I simply think of them as natural. Now, I don't do that in some kind of ostracizing kind of way, some kind of judgmental kind of way. I'm better than you and I'm spiritual and you're not. I just do that because I just know that that's how we're all born. In fact, there's a difference, though. Look at verse 14. He said, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, why is that? Because they're natural. It is not natural to accept the things of God. You find Adam and Eve, even in the garden, trying to become like God. They didn't accept the very words of God to not eat from that tree. They decided they wanted to become like God. And the reality is there's no way they could ever be God. For, they, for the, things of God, the, Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God, they're folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Let me say this. There There are a lot of natural people in this room today. I don't know who you are. The reality is is that you work with a lot of natural people. You live in the neighborhoods with a lot of natural people. Natural people are not necessarily evil people. They could be moral, card-carrying, you know, safe, loving families, mother yard, don't break the POA codes, or anything that kind of, they, they kind of people. They're just good, go down to earth, salt of the earth people. But they're natural. And when you even think about bringing up the spiritual conversations, that's when they become a little uncomfortable. That's when they get a little fidgety. So you don't ever go to the spiritual, you just all stay in the natural. You talk about the Razorbacks. Huh? And next week we're going to talk about the Razorbacks again. And they're going to win. And, uh, you know, you, 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 talk about, you talk about natural stuff, jobs, you talk about sports, you talk about things that you like, things that they like. But when you get into the spiritual, you know when you cross that line, things get uncomfortable in the conversation. Why is that? They're natural. 
They don't get the things of the Spirit. They don't understand the things of the Spirit. There's several things. One, when they think about talking about Jesus stuff and all this Jesus talk, they don't agree with Jesus. It's folly, as the Bible says, or it's foolishness to them. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They, they, they run from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and verse 23 says it like this. For the message of the cross, which is central to the Christian faith, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified as a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. He uses the word foolishness twice here in 1 Corinthians. He also, in chapter 1, he uses it again in chapter 2. What is this whole thing about folly and foolishness? It's actually the Greek word more. We get our English word moron from it. There are some people who think that you're moronic for being here today. There are some people who think that you're crazy. This is foolishness. You're wasting your time, your money, your talents. Your, 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 this is not natural, okay? You ought not be doing this. The natural thing is to go to the lake. The natural thing is to go to the golf course. The natural thing is to hang out with your friends. The natural thing is not to think about some God thing out there, this Jesus gig. It's not to go there. That's the natural world, okay? But there's another thing. They don't under, they, not only do they not agree with Jesus, but they also don't understand Jesus. It goes on to say they cannot understand. You underscore it in your Bible. It says they're not able to understand the things of the Spirit. The word understand there is actually a legal term to judge or to discern. They're not able to put it into a rational schema in their life. So when it comes to talking about spiritual things, why do they get uncomfortable? Because they haven't gone there. They don't talk about it. It's taboo at the table. It's taboo on holidays. It's taboo with family. You just don't talk about the spiritual things. That, to a natural person, is just the way you live. You don't talk about death. You don't go to funerals and talk about those kind of things because it makes people uncomfortable. I've done so many funerals in my lifetime, I can't even begin to count. But I can tell you right now, I can walk into a funeral hall, I can walk into a mortuary, and I can nearly tell in a split second a person who has been a spiritual person and a person who has been a natural-only person just by the mood and the mode of the room, just by the spirit of the conversation, just by the awkwardness that maybe people... Because naturally you don't talk about those things that are beyond this life because we don't understand them. You don't talk about the spiritual world because it's foolishness. It's moronic. That's where you don't go there. So why, I mean, instead of we just don't talk about the big white elephant in the room or whatever, whatever it is. You just don't talk about those spiritual things. And the reality is, is that we need to. The reality is that we need to dive into our own hearts and we need to explore deep, deep, deep down inside. C.S. Lewis, a great writer, thinker. You know, he wrote in his book, Surprised by, Surprised by Joy. He was a Cambridge, Oxford professor. Y'all know the Chronicles of Narnia. He is authored and, and very, very prolific writer. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia after he became a believer. But the story is, before he became a believer, he was an agnostic. But somehow in the process of some conversations at the pub, at the local pub, and some just processing in his own heart and mind as a, as a great thinker of his own, in his own right, he began to realize that there might be a God out there. He became a theist. But whenever he went from being an agnostic, an agnostic to a theist, he, became, he went from being a theist to a Christian. Whenever one day he was riding on the bus home 
in Headington Hills whenever he realized that everything he had been taught, everything he had processed through, that it didn't make sense. It didn't all come together in all night, neat, neat little package. He didn't have all the questions answered in life. But he just had to accept it in faith. And so he accepted it in faith and started walking with Jesus. And thus the Chronicles of Narnia and many other great works came out of him. Josh McDowell, another man, a very educated man, graduating with all kinds of honors from his school, went out with all intents to disprove Christianity, thought it was foolishness, decided that he was going to fight against this foolish rhetoric that was on out there. He went in and he studied archaeology, philosophy, theology, textual criticism, history. He went into it as full flung as he could possibly, he comes out on the other side, a follower of Jesus. He dove in thinking it was foolishness, but as he dove in, he began to realize this is truth. This is something I can bite down on. This is something I can base my life on. I love the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a a Yale-trained lawyer who became a legal affairs editor for the Chicago Tribune. He was a skeptic. He declared himself a skeptic. He had already determined in his mind, in his own cursory kind of look at Christian faith, he said God was merely a product of wishful thinking, of ancient mythology, and a primitive superstition. That's all that God was. Until in the autumn day in 1979, his wife Leslie walks into the house and declares to her husband Lee, I am a follower of Jesus. He immediately puts up his lawyer uh, persona. He immediately begins to debate her. He immediately takes on this investigative reporter from the Chicago Tribune kind of hat. He puts on these two hats, and he begins to dive into the Christian faith. And for the next two years, interviewing 13 different leading thinkers, scholars of the day, he processed through all of the evidence of Christianity. And he comes out on the back side as a believer in Jesus. I'm telling you, if you dive into the Christian faith and you spend any length of time in there, I have to believe that not all the answers will be found. There will still be the mystical side of the Christian faith. But I'll tell you this, you'll come through on the other side and you'll realize, listen, I've been living a natural life, a very simple life, a very contained life, a very life within my own control. But I need to understand that there's a whole other life out there. There's a spiritual life out there that I don't control, and I can't contain, and I can't maneuver. It's a spiritual life. Here's a life principle for you. It is not natural to be supernatural. This is a process that you go through when Jesus, as Jesus said, you are born again. This is a when you go from being a natural life, living a natural life, to living a supernatural life. This is a new life. For you, hopefully you will move quickly someday, maybe today. Maybe today's the day. You've been wrestling with this for a long time. You've been processing this for a long time. You've been debating in your head a long time. But it's time for you to go from being natural to being supernatural, and it's time for you to cross that line. And that's the second life we're going to talk about is the supernatural life. Adrian Rogers said it like this, The natural man is born once, he dies twice. He dies physically on this earth, and he dies spiritually into eternity. But a supernatural man is born twice. He's born physically, but he comes back, and he, and he is born spiritually as well. Happens in this room, happened for me in my living room on North 5th Street in Rogers. 
can happen in any number of places. Happens in coffee shops. Happens on jet airplanes. Happens on a bus for C.S. Lewis. It can happen anywhere. A spiritual birth takes place. He said we are supernatural man is born twice, but he only dies once. When he dies physically, he will live forever and ever and ever in in God's kingdom for all eternity. That is a supernatural life. See, we are a twice, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a twice-born person in a once-born world. And so this once-born world is not going to necessarily make sense and make sense to this twice-born individual over here. It's not going to compute. When we talk about living supernaturally, what does that look like? What does that mean? When you look at verse 15, this is what he says. He says, a spiritual person judges. Again, he uses a word here that uh, is a legal term here to talk about discernment. Has a has a has an extra sense to him. Has a we talk about a, a woman having a sixth sense. Let me just tell you this: this is a seventh sense, an eighth sense, whatever sense you want to call it. But there's an element that here. There's a judging element, a discerning element that gives them the ability to see past the surface stuff. A spiritual person judges all things, but is himself. To be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind, key in on that phrase, mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him? Now here it is again. But we have the mind of Christ. Underscore that phrase, mind of Christ. Two key phrases there. He's making it very clear that a spiritual person understands the mind of the Lord. He understands it. Why? Because he has the mind of Christ. There is something that happens inside of you. And listen, I can't splice it open with a, with a what's it called? scalpel. I can't, I can't explain it to you in a laboratory. I can only come to this book right here and open it up and just explain it to you as best I can from this book. But there's something that happens inside the heart of an individual when they experience the supernatural life that happens to them. It's mystical. You don't necessarily see lights and you don't have handwriting on the wall and not, not necessarily there's this change physically of you, but there's something that begins to happen in you that grows and grows and grows inside of a person who is living a supernatural life. And that is they began to get in touch with something else, and that something else is called the mind of Christ. He says it here twice, but it's not just here. It's throughout the Scriptures. If you find also in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, you'll find that he said there, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Again, there are some things in this world that won't make sense except to a supernatural born person, a person who has experienced a supernatural life. Things begin to change in their life because they have an enlightenment about them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, let, the, let this mind be in you. What mind is that? The one that was in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All I can say is it's like this. Whenever you begin to process life, see life, feel life, relate in life, with the mind of Christ, you become a spiritual person that won't make sense to some, but you will have a clarity about life 
you'll have a depth of understanding about life. You'll have a rich view about life that cannot be explained any other way. The only thing I can think of just describe it would be like, you remember your, your parents or your grandparents, depends on how old you are, uh, little, little console television that had the little screen, the little black and white screen they talked about growing up, and they only had two or three television programs, and that's all they could see is, was limited to that little black and white, snowy, analog kind of television. Let's say you take that today. And you trade that in. Oh, you can't see things very clearly. You understand there's something out there about a spiritual, but it's all foolishness and mutter-mutter to you. So you just take that and you trade it in, and you have the spiritual rebirth. It's like trading it in for an HD IMAX theater in 3D inside your home. That's the level of clarity. I'm not saying that all of a sudden everything's going to go from black and white and snow is going to go away. But I'm saying that you begin a process of a spiritual life wherever you stay in touch with Christ and His mind becomes your mind. His thoughts become your thoughts. His values become your values. His emotions become your emotions. His love becomes your love. His forgiveness becomes your forgiveness. You begin to be able to relate with people and do things in life and have attitudes in life that are so much like Christ. They're so beautiful and so powerful and so transforming. I go back to last week's message. We talked about the willingness to be able to suffer for Christ. Why is it that some people would be willing and to count it joy, as Paul talks about, to suffer for Christ? The only way is if you have the mind of Christ. Otherwise, we run from pain. And I'm not saying we're going to run to pain, but when it comes to us and we're doing the right things and we're saying the right things and we're living the right way and still persecution may come our way, we're okay with that. Because we have the mind of Christ. We see life through Christ's mind. We see life through Christ's filter. He becomes our mind. We become spiritual people. See, when we talk about all this radical stuff and the radical book and the radical talk, and it's really not radical. It's just supernatural. Radical is supernatural. The thing is, in this world, supernatural is radical. When you start doing things like taking your own resources and start giving them away, when you start pouring your life into other people's lives, for no apparent gain of yourself, that's different. That's radical. We gave out $10 here a few weeks ago. Anybody who wanted to take it the, the $10 challenge, and a number of you all took the, the $10 challenge. If you weren't here, sorry, we gave out money when you came to Grace Point Church. But um, I want to read to you some of the emails that have come in, just a couple of them, because there's been a lot that have come in. And I think about these examples and I think about the $10, and the $10 was all it was was a primer. It was just to get you going. It was just to get your mind thinking beyond yourself and how you could be a blessing and encouragement to other people. I like this one. This one came in the very next day after we did the challenge. It said, I just wanted to say to you that my husband and I left church yesterday and decided to go to Sonic in Bentonville. Not with the $10, but because we were hungry, uh, we, we, we put in our order, and a car pulled up beside us. The car was a little bit tattered and torn, and, and the hubcaps were off and bald tires, and there was an older gentleman sitting in the, in the car next to us. Everything in the back of the car was just old taped-up boxes and suitcases and old suitcases. And we really looked at him, and we thought, this guy needs some encouragement. 
the husband got out of the car and we went over to his car and we gave him $10 that our church is wanting us to encourage people. I want to buy you lunch today. The man began to tell him about his moving to Fayetteville and how he was moving there because of health issues and his life was not exactly everything he intended it to be and wanted it to be. And, and, and he asked about, you know, how he could be of more help to him. My husband asked how he could be of more help to him. He said, my husband came back to the car. And I know this man. I'm not going to give his name away. It's an amazing thing. This man comes back to the car and gets $20 of his own money and takes it back over to him and says, here, buy tonight's dinner. I just think about that. You know what? It was just $10. $10 became $30. It wasn't the $30 even. It was the fact that all of a sudden this person began to have the mind of Christ and began to see people through the eyes of Christ. Here's another person who came in just this past week. Person, my husband gave his money to a homeless man. He says, my, my, my husband lost his job one time, and he turns around and offers this homeless man a job at his business. Here's one. A wife writes this one. He says, my husband chose a, a woman who, work, who he works with. She's a single mom of two lovely girls. She grew up as a Muslim in her very strong Muslim family. After leaving her husband, she became a Christian and has little contact with her family because of that. My husband spent 10 years with his mother being a single mom. He knows the hardships and the sacrifices that single moms make and go through. This sweet lady was so appreciative of the $10 gesture, she said that she and her girls were going to go out for dinner that night. One more. I have a friend who struggles with same-sex attraction. He has been married since the age of 18 but returned to the gay lifestyle when his marriage fell apart. Shortly after, thereafter, he lost his two grandchildren to the state when his daughter was incarcerated for drug abuse. Today, I took him out to lunch, listened to more of his story. I heard about the sexual abuse of, of a child, of his domineering mother, his emotionally absent father, and well, and as well as the porn that he was exposed to at a very early age. We have agreed to meet at least once a week for discipleship, sharing, and prayer. His lunch cost me $8, but I also plan to purchase him the book by John Eldridge Wild at heart. You know, when I think about these stories, I think about people just beginning to see people through the eyes of Christ, beginning to relate with people the way Jesus would relate with people. You see, when we're talking about radicals, we're really not talking about something crazy and kind of like burning Korans or something like that. We're not talking about something stupid. We're talking about living out life through the eyes and the filter and the mind of Christ. Are you ready and willing to do that? That is the supernatural life. Are you natural today? Step over and become supernatural today. Give your life full time, full on, all in. Let everything go and be full on for Jesus Christ. But I want to give you one last life to consider. And that's the unnatural life. The unnatural life is something that Paul rebukes quite clearly. It's, 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 it's unnatural because it's not supposed to be that way. Natural, that's natural. Supernatural, that's amazing. Unnatural, it's not supposed to be that way. But the sad thing is, is that some people become followers of Christ and they lose the hard, the hot hearted zeal for Christ. And all of a sudden, 
the, the supernatural becomes cold and stagnant. It wasn't nurtured. It wasn't developed. It becomes like a second rate. It becomes goes from a relationship to a religion. And I want to show you a statistic that Barna put out in a study that was done. And this just disturbs me to no end. When he says that 66%, that's two out of every three people in America, profess to be Christians but are lax in their beliefs and practices. He labels them casual Christians. A few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, I talked about nominal and notional Christians. It's sad to finally put a number on that and to think that the largest religious group in America of the seven tribes that Barna identifies is people who are called casual Christians. They, they somehow identify with the Christian faith in notion and in some kind of nominal way, but in reality, it's not captivating. The captivating Christians only represents about 17% of across American culture. Across America, where people are sold out, they're held captive, they're given in to Christ. As Paul said, they become slaves to Christ, willingly giving themselves to this slavery. This disturbs me, and you'll be hearing us throughout this series refer back to this. So hang on to this, because I realize in this room that if you're not natural, and you're not supernatural, with the mind of Christ, living out the mind of Christ, and all the processes and the avenues and the quarters of your life, then the only other category is the unnatural. It means you've been born again, but you're no longer living for Christ. You've been born again, but there's all kinds of skeletons in the closet that you're unwilling to get rid of. You've, been, you've lived for Christ in idea, but you're not living for Christ in the real. You're theoretically a Christian, but in practicality you're not. When only 17% of those that make up our American culture are identified like that, it gets really scary. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, But I... Brothers, we know he's speaking to fellow Christians, could not address you as spiritual people. Why? But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And here's, here are the results of a person, real quickly here, the part, results of a person who lives an unnatural life, they're delayed spiritually. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And not even now you are ready. Uh, you are not yet ready. You're, you're not ready for the good stuff. You're not ready for the meaty stuff. You are delayed spiritually. My, 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 my fear is the same fear of A.W. Tozer when he said this. May our in, inadequacy of much of our spiritual experience be traced back to our habit of skipping through the corridors of the kingdom like children in the marketplace, chattering about everything, but pausing to learn the true value of nothing. My fear is that you'd come here week after week and week after week and week after week and you'd take your kids to the student program on Sunday, uh, Sunday night and to, the, to, to youth worship on, on Wednesday, Wednesday and to day camp out at the lake and, and you'd get involved in all the good civic activities in town and you'd just kind of skip your way through life, but yet you yourself are not growing. And what Hebrews 5.12 says, in fact, though at this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. It's as if you are retarded in your own faith. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that in a very gentle way, but yet a very firm way. Listen, it's time for us to grow up. One of the effects of the unnatural life is that we really just become delayed 
spiritually. Number two, we become divisive. Well, all of a sudden we become divisive in a corporate body. Verse 3, he said this, he says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you. It amazes me when I see a young married couple go come, come to the stage and come to the altar and, and give their lives in, in, in marriage to Christ. And, and then all of a sudden they kind of grow apart spiritually and grow apart emotionally and grow apart physically. And then all of a sudden it's like we just fell out of love. No. They just didn't keep their hearts heart for each other and their hearts hot for God. All of a sudden, strife and anger and envy and jealousy starts slipping in and everything just starts driving a wedge between them. And what we really need is we need to come back to be supernatural people. Awaken our spirits again. Ask God to awaken us again. That we would not be this delayed spiritually, this divisive kind of people. It happens in the church. People become divisive people in the church because they've lost the mind of Christ in their day-to-day life. And also we become deceptive socially. Last one, it says, verse 4, it says, For when, for when one says, I was of Paul, and some says, I'm of Apollos, are you not being merely human? See, there's some people who are hyper-spiritual in this Corinthian day. Someone to follow Apollos, someone to follow Paul. They were both Christians. And all of a sudden they're fighting amongst themselves. What's this all about? He's trying to bring them back. He's saying, guys... Focus, focus. You're acting like people. You're acting like naturals. You're acting like humans. And you're supposed to be supernatural followers of Christ. One last quote by Brennan Manning. I know I've loaded you up with quotes, but this one is a powerful one. The greatest source of atheism in the world today, the source of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but deny Him by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Who are the unnaturals? Who are the people that are unnatural today? Well, they're the people who at one time in their life were hot-hearted for Christ. They were the ones who loved Christ, but no longer do they call Him their first love. They've lost it. The flame has gone out. If you're here today and that is you, I want to challenge you to get really humble and really serious with the Lord. And I want to say that this side of this, this, this room, my right, your left, this, these steps here in just a few moments, when the band comes back up in a second, th- this will be a place that you can come and just lay your head down and just say, God, I'm asleep. I'm living unnatural. I'm not hard-hearted for you. I'm divisive. I'm slowing down in my faith, and I need a revival of my spirit. Awaken me. If you want somebody to pray with, there'll be people hanging out here. Staff, Lori, deacons, they'll be around here. If you want somebody to pray with, they're they're available. They're not going to force themselves. You just come to them and say, hey, pray with me. This side, though, I want to talk to you because if you're not there, you may be here. Maybe you're here today, and again, when I talked about the natural life, I talked about those who maybe they're exploring their faith, but they're not followers of Jesus. They're not been spiritually born again. Why? What are you waiting for? 
What are you waiting for? Let today be the day of your new birth. Give your life to Christ. There'll be, again, some people lined up here. Just You're available. You can come pray by yourself. You want somebody to pray with you, and pray with you. The, the, the point is this. Is if this is going to be a radical movement of God that is really not radical, it's biblical. You heard us say that last week. If we're really going to move that 17% up, upwards, across our congregation, across this community, the only way is for us to become supernatural people living out the mind of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, Teacher, Master, Savior, Lord, help us now to see who we are, to see where we are, so we may not miss you. Lord, help us to go inside and to identify if we are living natural lives, which is very common and very acceptable, but Lord, you're calling us to supernatural. You're calling us to be born again. Lord, would you do something here right now that would totally change our lives? Lord, if we're unnatural, we've just been living in the complacency. We've been living in that dichotomy instead of in a congruent life, Lord. A fighting between the two natures in us. And we've been giving in. We've grown cold. We've become divisive in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, in our relationships. People don't want to be with us and we don't want to be with people. Lord, renew our spirits again. Lord, change us from the inside out. Begin the work now. In Jesus' name.